Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. And I think I've told you most every week that I love hearing children reflect upon uh, those words from Exodus 20. Uh, And those last words that you heard uh, probably come very close to capturing the principle that we're talking about today. Just don't even push anybody. Uh, I also told the early assembly, uh, Debbie and I will be on vacation next Sunday. Aaron Dawson is preaching. And I really look forward to seeing the little video for next week, Do Not Commit Adultery, wondering how children will respond to that one. Uh, Ten rules for relationship. The sixth word, as the Jewish people would have described the, the, the Ten Commandments, the sixth word that God spoke to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai is pretty clear and direct. You shall not murder. And then these words from Jesus as he speaks to this principle in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, reka, which is a Greek term that might be best translated, you idiot, it's a word which means empty-headed, stupid, Whoever says, you idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, the Greek term is a term from which we get the word moron. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you are coming to worship, and you there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Do not murder. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Don't take another person's life. Respect human life. Respect the precious gift of life. But as Jesus also points out in the Sermon on the Mount, the principle, this rule for relationship runs much deeper than you or I simply saying, well, I've never killed anyone. Uh, For a moment, let me take us back to the creation and to God's intent from the very beginning. When we talk about uh, the overall story of God, the overall mission of God, we often reference uh, the words of Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that you and I are created in the very image of God. So many implications when we think about the meaning of that statement, but I'm convinced, and I share this often when we look at that text, I'm convinced at the heart of that statement, we are created in the image of God, is the significance of relationship. We were created for relationship. The divine family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share a beautiful, intimate, eternal relationship with one another. And we were created 
in the very image of the divine family, created for relationship with God, but also created for relationship with one another. And we've talked about the significance of that relationship in this series against the backdrop of a wedding ceremony, the vows that a husband and a wife speak to one another, a commitment to faithfulness, to honor and respect one another, growing out of the commitment God makes to us. I will be your God and you will be my people. God's commitment to us. We were created for relationship with God and we were created for relationship with one another. That is reinforced in so many ways throughout Scripture, but it's reinforced early on in Scripture in the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. Seven times in the story of Cain murdering his brother Abel, those two are referred to as brothers. Now, hang on just a moment. Just like the word good is used seven times in the creation story, God looks at what he has created and he says it's good, and at the end of creation it is very good. So also the word brother is used seven times to describe Cain and Abel as brothers. Oh, We know they are brothers from the first use of the word when Eve gives birth to Cain and then to his brother Abel. But it's almost as if the writer uses the term over and over again to reinforce this image of relationship, that we were created for relationship, created to love and honor and respect one another. We are not created to take the life of another. We are not created to harbor envy and jealousy and hatred and revenge and unforgiveness. And so please grab hold of the storyline of Scripture. We're created in the very image of God. We're created for relationship. God looks at his creation and says it's good. And then we turn only a couple of pages in Scripture and we see Adam and Eve breaking relationship with God. And now we see in the story of Cain and Abel the first murder, human beings breaking relationship with one another. When I read the story of Cain and Abel, because there are parents in this church who've had to bury their children, I've thought about how difficult it must be for a parent to bury a child, but I think even beyond that, how difficult it must be for a parent to bury a child who was murdered by another one of their children. And then in the very next section in Genesis 4, we see unrestrained violence, unrestrained vengeance. In the story of Cain and Abel, Cain's punishment for murdering his brother is that he would be a restless wanderer on the earth. When Cain tells God that his punishment is more than he can bear, that wherever he goes, there will be somebody looking to kill him, God, notice, God extends grace. Cain's life is not taken because he killed his brother, but God extends grace. God extends mercy to the point of saying that anyone who killed Cain would suffer vengeance seven times over. God places a mark of protection, a mark of grace on Cain. But then the next section, how we as humans often respond to God and to one another in spite of the grace and the mercy God shows us. And so the next section begins by telling us that Lamech, who is a descendant of Cain, married two women, one named Ada, the other Zillah. 
Ada gave birth to Jabel. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. It's almost as if the writer is saying, let me tell you about the development of human civilization. And then this line, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times, or as some translations word it, 70 times seven. Remember that phrase. My paraphrase, Lamech says, someone mistreated me today. Someone wounded me today. Someone wronged me today, and I got even. I killed him. I killed her. And listen to me, I'm going to carry that spirit of revenge with me to the point of seeking revenge. Not just to the point of seven times, but to the point of 77 times. We have moved from the beauty of relationship, love, and respect, and forgiveness to unrestrained revenge and violence. Bottom line, there's no respect for human life, no respect for relationship. And as we look at the rest of biblical history, as we look, in fact, at the overall history of humanity, we see that magnified in so many ways, this lack of respect for life. In Hebrew, this command, do not murder, is made up of two words. The first word, which communicates the idea of don't, and then the second word translated murder in most of our English translations. The word that's translated murder in its various forms appears dozens of times in the Old Testament and is used not only of murder but of manslaughter as well. In other words, the Bible recognizes, just as many of our modern laws do, that there are varying degrees of responsibility in causing the death of another human being. For example, there's a difference between premeditated murder and accidentally causing the death of another. In both scenarios, there may be consequences that follow, but the consequences often differ dramatically based upon intent. And I want you to hear that word. This principle, I think, also has applications for a broad variety of topics none of which we can explore in detail today, but a recognition again that when we talk about the gift of life, there are so many topics that are a part of that conversation. This principle which seems so straightforward at first, but that raises a host of questions. For example, does this principle forbid killing in self-defense? Is killing in war justified? Is the death penalty permitted? What about suicide or abortion or euthanasia? And as we look at that broad spectrum, the numbers themselves are staggering. There are those who suggest that the last 100 years have been the deadliest in the history of the human race. During the 20th century, at least 100 million people were killed in combat, in wars. But the question is, how do we move to a better place? as a people, where we lay down our weapons? How do we reach the place where war no longer exists? 
In addition, genocidal atrocities saw millions of Jews, Hutus in Rwanda, and countless others slaughtered. In recent years, mass shootings have killed children and young adults in schools, concerts, etc. What's the answer? Number of murders in our country ranges from 16 to 20,000 each year, including tragic events like the standoff in Leveland on Thursday that included the death of Josh Bartlett, who was a sergeant with the Lubbock County Sheriff's Department. How do we move to a better place in our communities where folks do not take up weapons to harm or to kill others? Close to 50,000 folks take their lives every year in the United States. How do we move to a better place where we're able to walk alongside folks who struggle so deeply with life that they ponder taking their own lives? Over 600,000 abortions take place in our country every year. The call for us to speak for the unborn who have no voice for themselves, but at, an e but at an even deeper level, how do we walk alongside young women who feel like they have no other option? And do we extend mercy and grace to those who chose to have an abortion? How do we care for those who walk through those challenges? We stand against the taking of life, but are we willing to step into the gaps to care for those children who are not wanted, who need foster care? who long to be adopted. I would add, in foot, uh, add a footnote there. That's one reason I'm grateful for ministries at Monterey, like our orphan care ministry and another ministry that seeks to provide a safe place for young women who are walking through the difficulties of pregnancy or who've had an abortion. What about euthanasia, which refers to active steps taken to end someone's life in order to stop suffering, legal in a number of countries around the globe, a plethora of topics. My prayer is that we honor and respect the precious gift of life on all of those fronts. But let me also cut to the chase because Jesus spoke to it. The deeper issue is the issue that Jesus addressed in the Sermon on the Mount. And so, can we talk about our hearts? Six times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, but I say to you, six times, you have heard that it was said, do not murder, but I say to you, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, you have heard that it was said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I say to you, you've heard that it was said, do not break your oath, but I say to you. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you. Challenging statements from Jesus that take us far beyond just a legal statement of, well, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, etc., Again, hear me carefully. The taking of human life anytime, anywhere is serious business. In fact, that principle is rooted in creation itself. Not only the reference I made earlier to the fact that we're created for relationship, but the very words of God to Noah and his family following the flood. When God says, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. And he roots that in creation. For in the image of God has God made mankind. The taking of human life is serious business. But this principle is more than just a legal statement. Otherwise, I could easily say, you could easily say, 
You know, I've never picked up a gun and killed anyone. I've never picked up a knife and killed anyone. I've never killed anyone with my bare hands. Okay, fair enough. Now the question is, do I dismiss what Jesus said or do I let his word sink into my heart? Listen again to what he said. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, let the word settle in. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. In other words, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is just as guilty as. He's going to make the same observation when he talks about adultery, focus of next week's lesson. A simple observation on my part. You may or may not agree with me, but a simple observation. There is way too much anger in our world. I get angry when people disagree with me. I get angry when people cut me off in traffic. I get angry and we could just fill in the gaps in so many different directions. I allow anger to control my life, my mind, my heart, my words. And while I'm tired of any of us making excuses for COVID, I think the reality is the anger level of folks in our world has only ramped up during what we've experienced the last 18 months. There is way too much anger in our world. And Jesus says this principle speaks to that anger. Hypothetically, if I were to say this morning, would you please stand if you've ever killed anyone? My guess is that no one would stand. Even though, hear me carefully, even though we've engaged in ministry through the years at Monterey, like our prison ministry, where we've interacted with folks who were convicted and who served prison time because they took someone's life. There have been folks through the years who have served their time, who came to know Jesus, who were connected to Monterey, folks who had taken another person's life. What do we do in those situations? Well, we stand against the taking of someone's life, but do we not also extend grace and mercy? I've wondered what Moses thought when he heard God speak this command. Do not murder, since he had been guilty of taking the life of an Egyptian before he fled from the land of Egypt. My guess is that chills went up and down the backbone of Moses. And I suspect he was so grateful that God was merciful to him. I've wondered about David, who was responsible for the death of Uriah. David, a man that we know as a person after God's own heart, guilty of a capital offense, and he paid some horrible consequences because of his sin. But God extended mercy. God did not take his life. Can we, in the midst of standing for the gift of life, be a people of mercy and grace as we deal with one another? And so back to my hypothetical question. Would you please stand if you've ever killed anyone? I wonder if you would stand if you've ever been so angry with someone that you wish they were dead. 
I wonder if you would stand if you've ever just dismissed or dehumanized another person who, by the way, was created in the image of God just as you are. I wonder if you would stand if you have consistently refused to forgive others. I wonder if you would stand if you've used words that communicate for all practical purposes, that person is as good as dead to me. Why, I wouldn't even walk across the street to speak to that person. You see, it runs much deeper than just a legal definition of murder. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. I think you know the story in Matthew chapter 18. It follows a teaching section where Jesus encourages us to be peacemakers, where Jesus encourages us to pursue reconciliation with those who have wronged us. And then this story, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And you've heard that phrase, right? How many times shall I forgive? Up to seven times? Jewish rabbis would have said, well, maybe three times or at most four times. No doubt Peter thought he was being incredibly gracious. Up to seven times? Now, again, I want you to hear me carefully. The answer of Jesus is rooted not just in a story about revenge and forgiveness. The answer of Jesus is rooted in a story about murder. The story of Lamech who killed someone for doing him wrong. And he said, not only did I kill the one who wounded me, I'm going to get revenge to the point of 77 times. Same phrase that Jesus uses when he talks about forgiveness. As if to say, you need to make forgiveness a way of life. You honor one another. You recognize the precious gift of life and relationship. Jesus teaches forgiveness and he empowers us to break the cycle of hatred and violence and unforgiveness that affects our world. And he drives the point home by telling a parable of an unmerciful servant. You'll recall that story too. A servant who owed so much to his master that there was no way that he could ever pay it back. He pleads for mercy. The master dismisses the entire debt. And then that same servant goes out to a fellow servant who owed him a much lesser amount of money and refused to show the same mercy that had been extended to him. Well, my guess is there are important implications and applications for every one of us today. In fact, my guess is that it's time for me, I won't confess for you, but it's time for me to take an attitude check on how I look at others, how I look at people to deal with attitudes of hatred, ill will, revenge, bitterness, unforgiveness, prejudice, disregard for human life, that we submit to the Spirit of God in order that this principle be formed in us, that the Spirit develop within us attitudes of love, forgiveness, and mercy toward others, that we value human life and human relationships because we're made in the image of God. My guess is there are important implications and applications for every one of us. But I'm going to extend one challenge, one invitation today, and it's rooted in Scripture itself, 1 John chapter 3. In fact, let me invite you to stand as I read this text. Invite the team to go ahead and join me on the stage. 
For this is the message you heard from the beginning. And I think anytime we read Scripture, we need to recognize that the authors of Scripture are being intentional in the language they're using. The writer says, you've heard this message from the very beginning. Well, we've already talked about the beginning, the creation story, that we're created in the very image of God. We're created for relationship. But as a footnote to that, this author says, here's the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then it's almost like he flips a couple of pages in the Old Testament and says, and don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Almost parenthetically, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And then here's the punchline. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister. He doesn't say anyone who takes up a gun, a knife, anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And so bottom line, what about my heart? What about your heart? Oh, I've I've never killed anyone. But what about my heart? Let's pray together. Father, you have shown us grace and mercy that we do not deserve. And we're grateful. Grateful to be your sons and daughters. And God, as we think about this principle... Perhaps it stretches in directions that we never even thought about. But it's Jesus himself who reminds us that it calls us to the very core of our beings, the ways that we look at one another and care for one another and respect one another, life and relationship. And I pray that the world clearly sees that spirit in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.